Tappers, what's up? It is the Monday edition of the Daily Tap for February 15th. Hope you're doing well. Start of a new week. Some of you have off today uh, because it's President's Day. If you do, you are an asshole. Uh, no, just kidding. But seriously, I don't understand why there are people with days off. There's a lot of people I know who have the day off today, and I hate your guts. And if you are, enjoy it. Hope it's hope it's been well. Uh, if you're not, when you're working like me, let's get this week started off right. We have a loaded show. Yet again on Monday, we have a packed edition. We t- we are going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, how to dismantle a good road trip uh, by the Bucks. We're going to talk about J.J. Watt and the Packers. We are going to talk about uh, Justin Turner turning down the Brewers to a surprise of probably no one, actually, if you think about it. And then lastly, we'll talk about why our Wisconsin College Hoops teams cannot win on the weekend. So we'll go into all of that. I do have a Chuck's Corner, but I think I'll probably save it for another day where we need some content because we are not lacking it today, ladies and gentlemen. But let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. So Milwaukee Bucks played the Oklahoma City Thunder on Valentine's Day. I didn't think I'd watch a lot of that game. I thought... I would catch snippets. I'd probably watch the full 10-minute highlight tape afterwards to kind of do recap, do the podcast, whatever. But as it, as we have it, as the schedule sort of worked out with my fiance and I, we weren't really we – were. We, I was doing some chores around the kitchen, so I got to watch most of the second half and watched a good amount of the first quarter. So, like, I watched most of the game. And so a lot of people are probably like, well, why are you watching this on Valentine's Day? Why are you doing this to yourself? I saw our guy Shafty say that. But look, I, I had the opportunity. I was like, why not? Let's watch the Bucks." And I knew that this was going to be a game where the Bucks were going to have to grit it out because they were on a ninth day of a road trip. They did not want to play this game. And a part of me wonders, like, if the Bucks really were mentally exhausted, which they very well could be. They've been in hotels for nine days. They've not slept in their own bed. They're isolating. They're not doing anything because of COVID-19. You know, why did Giannis play that? In a lot of ways, like, why did Giannis just rest tonight? Like, if if the Bucks were so tired and so, like, just did not want to be out there, why didn't Giannis and Chris just take the night off? And I, I don't mean that as, like, an asshole comment. Like, I, I know that, that how that's going to sound. Like, you're going to be like, wow, you're being a dick. Giannis had a triple-double. I think Chris had 24 or 25 points. It's not, that's not the case. Rather, it's me just saying, like, I would rather have them just rested tonight if it was such a, you know, ordeal to play tonight. And it, it looked like it. it. It just did not look like the Bucks wanted to be there in the first half. They just could not hit a shot. They, nothing was going in. And the Scrappy Thunder gave a shit. And they wanted to beat the Bucks. And they had a bunch of guys who just play fucking hard. And the Bucks could not match that intensity level in the first half. Now, in the second half, they started to pick it up a little bit. But right when the Bucks got a lead, there came the Thunder. The Thunder went back and were there. But this isn't really about just the Thunder loss. I mean, it's it's frustrating. It's really disappointing. But I thought we'd kind of look at the road trip as a whole now that it's done and sort of think about some of the key things that happened during this, good and bad, um, from what I would deem a disappointing road trip. It's kind of like when somebody, like your girl, is like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. 
That's how I feel with the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed because there's no reason the Bucks should be 3-3 three and three on this road trip. They should have been 4-2. and two. They pissed down their leg against Phoenix, and if they don't piss down their leg against Phoenix, this is a fine road trip. I mean, if the Bucks went 4-2 and two and lost to Utah, who's, you know, a juggernaut right now, we'll get to in a little bit here, and they, they lose an Oklahoma City game where their just heart wasn't in it, Okay, whatever. We can we can ride with that. I can be okay with that. But to go three and three after starting out three and zero, looking dominant. Remember, the Bucks were on a five game winning streak where they had won by twelve point five points a game. Like the Bucks looked like the old Bucks, and all of a sudden they kind of take a little bit of a step back. I don't think this is one of those one step forward, two step back situation. I still think the Bucks took some steps forward. But I also do think they took a slight step back as well. Like they're not at 100% there. It almost is like telling us, yeah, the Bucks are good, but they're not to that level they were last year or the year prior. And when I say last year, I obviously mean pre-pandemic. So a couple of things that stood out to me on this road trip. One, that Chris Middleton is a point forward. I mentioned this on, I think, Tuesday's podcast that Chris Middleton, you know, really has that point forward ability that he can run an offense and that if Drew Holiday is going to be out for another week and can we all just admit that Drew Holiday has COVID? I think it's pretty clear now. I understand that Drew Drew Holiday doesn't want to violate his own HIPAA laws, but Drew Holiday has COVID. Let's just call it for what it is. It's okay. We can say it. Let's cleanse ourselves of that. So we don't know when Holiday could come back. Hopefully this week, but we know COVID has been a thing that sometimes it lasts longer than the two weeks. And Drew Holiday's had some weird injury luck throughout the years. And so that's where you get a little nervous, right? But without Drew Holiday, you had the good has been Chris Middleton. Um, Chris Middleton at the point forward position is a real option. And I think it's something that the Bucks coaching staffs will need to explore when Holiday does come back because I think Middleton can be a passer and he can work as a facilitator. I think that really does work for the Milwaukee Bucks. Post Giannis is good. I still think that he, and I thought he was challenged a lot this week, and I thought he did the damn thing. He faced Jokic and Millsap. He did pretty well against him. He got off to a slow start in the in that game as well as when he faced Gobert where he didn't really start strong, but then he figured him out in the second half. Now, he has to kind of play with that the entire game. I'd rather have Giannis score 10, 10 a quarter than score two in the first half and then 29 in the second half, or I think it was 27 because he ended up with 29 for the game against the Jazz. You need Giannis to sort of figure it out early, but I think that's going to come with time as he keeps playing elite post defenders. He did pretty well against Al Horford tonight, who he's owned in the past. He had 22 points, 15 boards, 10 assists. He did notch another triple-double. But Giannis has been good in that post. He had 47 against Phoenix. Obviously, he hits one more shot. It's 49. I know that a lot of people were like, well, why didn't he pass to Middleton? He was wide open in the corner. Yes, that's true, but we want Giannis taking those shots. We want Giannis to feel comfortable in that. I know Devin Booker's comment got overblown, which it wasn't what Devin Booker meant to say. He just was trying to say we were keeping them out of the post. I fully 
understood what Devin Booker was saying, and yet every media member ran with it. And so I felt really bad for Devin Booker because I don't think he meant any intent, any malicious intent to Giannis. I, I just don't think that was what he was trying to do there. Another thing we learned from this road trip is that DJ Augustine sucks. What does DJ Augustine do? And John Horse fucked up here. And that's okay. Like, look, John Horse isn't going to be perfect. For for what he nailed with Bobby Portis, he completely missed with DJ Augustine. And I wonder if it's a little bit of Jeff Supon disease. You ask yourself, Charlie, what is Jeff Supon disease? Please enlighten us. Well, kids, uh, Jeff Supon was a pitcher for the Brewers, but before he was a pitcher for the Brewers, he was a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. He dominated the Milwaukee Brewers. He was so good at Miller Park. Jeff Supon was on another level. He was crazy good against the Brewers, and every time they faced Supon, he dominated. Similar to kind of like Adam Wainwright for a few years. Adam Wainwright has kind of lost it as he's gotten older, but Adam Wainwright used to be an automatic loss for the Brewers. That was what Jeff Supon was. So the Brewers, when he was a free agent after, I believe, the year the Cardinals won the World Series, right? They won the World Series that year? They they beat the Mets. That was the Andy Chavez. I can't remember. Uh, Because the Carlos Beltran strikes out. God, did they they win the World Series that year? They might have. But anyways, that doesn't matter. What matters is they signed Jeff Supon to this long-term deal because they watched Jeff Supon kind of dominate. And they were like, all right, well, this guy's going to be great. He was terrible for the Brewers. Led to the famous soup pitch great uh, commentary from one Ned Yost. So Jeff Supon disease is kind of what the Bucks have with DJ Augustine, where DJ Augustine dominated the Bucks in the bubble. He was really good in the bubble. He exploited the Bucks defense. He had some moments. He was hitting big shots. And now you watch him with the Bucks, and it doesn't really make sense. He's too small. He is as small of a guy that that you have sort of there, and he just does not fit with what the Bucks are trying to do. And so I'm really wondering what they're going to do to kind of get out of this. They they signed him for three years, $21 million. They gave him the mid-level exception. Now, I know that we're all like, we're all mad at DJ Augustine. Like, I think DJ Augustine right now is kind of enemy number one for Bucks Twitter. But the fact of the matter is, is like, we all kind of wanted him. I think everybody sort of thought Augustine would be a good signing. And it just hasn't worked out. And with Holiday being out with COVID, it has exposed Augustine and exposed how bad of a player he is with this team right now. He's just not on their level. And while Bobby Portis is a guy who might have needed a good team to kind of unlock his potential, Augustine was just a bad team, good stats guy. And that's all he is. He, He didn't do well on a bad team. But when you actually put him on a premier team, he's just not that guy. And so I, I think the Bucks have to figure out a way to move on from him already. And I don't know if there's anyone that's going to be willing to kind of take on his contract. Another thing we learned, I guess, is that the Jazz are just so much better than the Bucks right now. Now, it's right now. That's the key phrase. I don't know if there's anyone better than Jazz. They play the Sixers tonight. Be very interested to see how they do against the Sixers. I mean, they ramshackled the Heat on Saturday. Um, 
maybe the Lakers, but I, Lakers offensively aren't playing really that well. And Anthony Davis just left the game with an Achilles injury um, on Sunday. I'm taping this Sunday night, so we'll see what happens there. But so I don't know. The Jazz might be the best team in the West right now. Giannis called them that. I think they're deserving of that title at the moment. I still think, obviously, the Lakers are probably more feared. But right now, it's hard for me to say that Utah is below the Clippers. I would probably have it as the Lakers, just based on last year, Lakers, Jazz, Clippers. And it's close between the three. But I think right now the Jazz are playing the best. I got so I just contradicted myself. I was gonna say, well, I think the Jazz are, would be ahead of the Lakers at this point, but it's I, you still wouldn't be picking the Jazz to go to the finals. The Jazz do have a lot of 2018, 2019 Milwaukee Bucks vibes to them, um, but yeah, they're playing great basketball. The Bucks just ran into a buzzsaw. That's gonna fucking happen. That's not that's not uncommon, right? Um, Mike Boonholzer didn't run the the corner three play that we all hate. So that, that was good. I guess that's another thing we learned off this road trip. We learned that the Bucks are a great matchup for Cleveland. So if they got them in the playoffs, that would be ideal. Um, we learned that they can play with Denver. I mean, they're going to see Denver again right before the first half of the season ends. And be interesting to see how Mike Malone adjusts. But they, they can play and they didn't have Holiday. And I think Holiday against Jamal Murray would be a disaster for Jamal Murray. So again, you, hopefully Holiday... If he tested positive last Monday, I think they're an outside shot he could play in the Toronto game, but it's probably unlikely we won't see him until Thursday. And by the way, with Toronto, who they're playing on Tuesday, Toronto has their own issues, man. Toronto lost at home. I know home is Tampa Bay, but they lost at home to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who did not have D'Angelo Russell in that game, and they lost. They lost that game. It was a weird day. Sundays are always weird basketball. You had the Celtics lose to the Wizards. So I'm not going to chalk the Thunder thing as it is a bad loss, but I don't think it's completely voids out what the Bucks did for five games. I know I kind of said they're back at square one on the review. I think, you know, when you do those reviews, sometimes you overreact and then you get a chance to think about it. That's why I'd never like to do podcasts right after a loss because I say I can say dumb shit. Like there was a I you've used this example before, but there was a Brewer game where they were so bad and it was so mismanaged by Craig Council and I wanted him fired when we were like one of the best teams in baseball. And I had also had a few drinks, so sue me. But anyways, it was you know, but still like it, that's why you don't tape podcasts right after games. You just it's just not a good idea, and I would recommend that to a lot of people. Some people are like, well, that's great. That's where you get your best reactions, but it's also where you can kind of sound like a dumbass. And so I don't want to sound like a dumbass. So I don't think it's completely gone, but I do think it is a small step back. So they 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 step back a little bit. And yeah, you're going to lose games and losing streaks are going to happen. But it would be hard. I'll be hard pressed to think if the Bucks won't go out and just beat the shit out of Toronto on, on Tuesday night because they're going to be hungry and they're going to want to kind of bounce back. And maybe fans will start. I don't, they haven't announced it. So I doubt we're going to see fans this week, but maybe next week. I, I'm very excited to get the fans back at Pfizer Forum. Giannis tweeted out how he loves seeing the Greek flag today. It sounded like. 
I think there were some fans at Oklahoma City, which is crazy because of the ice storm. Like I was like, why was anyone going to the basketball game? Because there's all these ice ice storms going on in the uh, the southern region right now, which is crazy. But yeah, the the Bucks are Bucks are all right. They're gonna be okay. I don't think it's worth it's worth panicking too much. Uh, but we'll we'll obviously talk about them as the week goes on. Got a lot more on the slate. But let's go to JJ Watt. So part of me was bummed out I didn't get the tape on Friday. Um, I had started a podcast uh, Thursday night. I kind of was getting tired. When I get tired, I'm like, all right, I'll just shut it down. And I was going to do it in the morning. And so I'm ready and waiting to do it in the morning. And I oversleep. And I'm like, all right, I got to go work out and do all that. So no podcast at all then. And then the J.J. Watt news breaks like 845 and I'm like, oh, wow, I guess I'm glad I didn't do anything because my podcast would be shot. No one would give a fuck if it hadn't already been posted because that was everything anyone was talking about. And now Bill Huber reported that J.J. Watt, the Packers are interested in J.J. Watt. They're in the conversation. I have no idea how the Packers are going to figure out how to make J.J. Watt work with their cap. A lot of people this week sort of debunked the theory that the seller cap isn't real. I felt like it was a one big subtweet to Matt Schneidman. <laughs> Andy Herman went through all, and that was a great video piece by Andy. Uh, he's worth a follow if you don't follow Andy Herman. But basically, he was on a Google sheet breaking down all the different contracts and what the Packers could do and what moves they could make. And then it was found out on Saturday night that the Bucks, or the Bucks, Packers have nine million in cap opened up from the David Bakhtiari deal. So Russ Ball is already starting to cook. Like this is Russ Ball season. Let Russ cook, as I said on Twitter on Saturday night. Like this is his playground. And so now Russ Ball is going to work on figuring out how do we open up cap space, whether to sign a J.J. Watt, sign somebody else, make sure our draft picks are taken care of. Do we move on from Jordan Love and try to make a deal there? I think Russ Ball has so many different scenarios that he has put in front of Mark Murphy and Brian Gunacoust and Matt LaFleur. He's like, scenario one, we do X, Y, and Z. Scenario two, we do A, B, and C. Like, And I've never met Russ Ball. I don't know Russ Ball. He's kind of, I mentioned it the other day, like the Ernie Adams of the Packers where he just kind of hangs in the shadows. I would love to like talk to Russ Ball for like an hour and just be like, dude, how do you do this? Do you have a formula? Do you just, are you just in a spreadsheet all day? Like, how does this work? And I realized that I said, dude, like Russ Ball would, would accept like, dude, I don't know if he is like a laid back guy. It doesn't seem like it. From the pictures that were painted, he was kind of a prick. But maybe you have to be a prick to be a captologist. I don't know. But again, it's not really about Russ Ball, it's about J.J. Watt. So J.J. Watt, to circle back to that, uh, J.J. Watt is a great talent. And I think J.J. Watt's a guy every Packer fan would love. And it's crazy that already Culver's and Quick Trip are trying to recruit him on social media. I mentioned Quick Trip as a company that would immediately sign an endorsement deal with him. I think Culver's would too. I think Associated Bank would. And so J.J. Watt could look at it and say, well, shit, I could make, I don't know, $3 million next year, $5 million next year for the Packers, but then I could make an additional $2.5 million from these local companies who want to hire me as their spokesperson. And then, oh yeah, by the way, I still have that Reebok money and I still have other endorsements too. 
So that ends up making it seem like I'm not going to lose a ton of money next year. And I have to think JJ is pretty good with his finances. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the guy, but he doesn't seem like a reckless type. So it's not like he's he's going after a cash grab. Like he's not going to sign with like the fucking Jaguars for like a $20 million one year deal. That just does not seem what JJ Watt's going to do. It's like if JJ Watt's going to sign his money, he's going to do it with the Packers, maybe the Bears, because his girl, fiance, I think it's fiance, plays for the Bear, uh, the Chicago women's soccer team, or the Pittsburgh Steelers, and sign with his brothers, and TJ and Derek both play there. Now, I saw Bart Winkler, who is an unknown friend of the program. He, he is a friend of the program. He just might not know that. Bart's like, well, this is why you draft TJ Watt, because you'd have a shot at his brother, all this stuff. And it's like, I like Bart. I think Bart's a good dude. But that's such hindsight bullshit. We had no idea. There's no crystal ball that you could look into when you're trying to draft TJ Watt or Kevin King and say... In 10 years, you're going to have a shot at J.J. Watt because Houston is a complete clusterfuck. Remember, at the time that T.J. Watt was drafted and Kevin King, Houston was a perennial playoff team. They might not have made it far, but they were a perennial playoff team. Houston was arguably one of the best franchises of the last 10 years before all this shit happened. Before Cal McNair kind of was the James Dolan of... The NFL. And that's wild, right? Like, I know we don't put Houston in that context, but I think they're one of the top... At one point, they were like the fifth most playoff appearances of a team of the last decade or something like that. It's crazy. They they are they just have a lot there. More than I think people understand. And I, I don't think we could have said that you draft TJ Watt because maybe down the road you could get his brother. That's such a weird, that's not how Brian Gunacoust or Ted Thompson at the time, it's not how Ted Thompson works, okay? Like Ted Thompson's not going to look at it like that. That's such a hindsight, no one would think that forward. No one would assume that JJ Watt would be on the open market. It's, it, I, I love Bart, but that's fucking dumb. And, and it's not, the Watt versus King debate. And I think we can revisit that at some point. We know that TJ Watt's been better. He was nearly the defensive player of the year. But Kevin, was Kevin King what the Packers needed at that time? I think that's a great snow tap what it, WI what if, which is a segment I think we're going to bring back as the sports lesson. We just need those slow sports days for it to happen. I have like three Green Bay ones now. If I add the Watt versus King debate and once and for all sort of go back into it and rule who who was right in that. Because Badger fans love to remind you that they should have drafted TJ Watt. And there are other fans now too after Kevin King's poor play. I get it. But JJ's his own man. JJ could sign with the fucking Bills. Who knows, right? Like JJ could be like, all right, the best fit is like the Bills or... I think the Browns are interested. Like the Brown, maybe the Browns have the best system for him. You know, if JJ Watt's going to decide on whatever works best for JJ Watt, and if JJ Watt decides that taking a pay cut and being a Green Bay Packer and playing for the hometown team and him, I'm not saying that I, this is what it is, but in his mind, maybe he sees himself as Reggie White. Now, obviously, that's extremely narcissistic. 
But it could be the case. And he's like, maybe I'm like Reggie White coming at the end of my career. He said he grew up with Reggie White and Sterling Sharp on his walls. Said that to Shannon Sharp in a tweet when Shannon was advocating for his brother, which is really sweet. I really like that. I posted that on SoulTapWI on Friday. And so maybe J.J. Watt just wants to come back and fulfill that dream of being in Lambeau Field and being a Green Bay Packer. We'll have to see. I, I think he's going to get more money from other places. And if he decides to take more money and play with an opportunity for a Super Bowl, great. And if he takes a cash grab, which maybe the Bears would be a cash grab, I'd say, all right, maybe maybe JJ's not doing as financially well as I thought he was. So who knows? But it's obviously something to monitor. The local media will go crazy with it again this week. Um, it'll be a talking topic for a while. Um, but who knows? Um, I think JJ would fit with the Packers. He obviously fills a need. Uh, they need an interior lineman. He would be a massive upgrade from Dean Lowry. And they would be really nasty up front with J.J. Watt, Kenny Clark, Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary. That is a mean fucking front line. That is really difficult to deal with. And also, a callback to the whole Vic Fangio defense sort of thing. Remember, Justin Smith was an integral part of the Vic Fangio defenses in San Francisco. And that would be kind of the role I think J.J. Watt would play in this new defense under Joe Barry. So we'll see. We'll, we'll have to see. I'm sure JJ is going to love to be courted. I'm sure he's going to take a lot of phone calls. I'm sure he's going to listen to a lot of offers. And who knows where he'll, where he'll end up. I, he, could, he could do a deal next week uh, if he wants to. But I would imagine JJ will spend some time because he's, he's, he's allowed to sign with anybody immediately. He doesn't have to wait till the new year, which I believe starts on March the 17th. All right. Let's move on to someone that wasn't signed by a Milwaukee sports team, Justin Turner. So Justin Turner is not a part of the Milwaukee Brewers. He decided to come back for the Dodgers. Two years, $34 million. The Brewers had a similar offer on the table. And he decided to stay with his hometown team. I can't blame Justin Turner. Uh, Justin Turner did what was right for him. I'm not surprised that Justin Turner took the Dodgers deal. And maybe the idea of Justin Turner was kind of a mirage all along. Because Justin Turner loves L.A. Justin Turner is an L.A. guy. I think that he wanted to make sure he had two years. So maybe the negotiations started out where the Dodgers like, yeah, we'll give you one for 15. And then the Brewers come back and say, we'll give you two for 25. I don't know. Something along those lines. Or they give him two for 34 and said, that's the deal. And Turner's like, if you can match this, I'll go I'll go back. So it's probably likely that Justin Turner used the Brewers for leverage. And that happens, right? It happens in a lot of sports. The Packers get used for leverage all the time, more than more than any team in the state. Because the Packers are a Super Bowl contender every year, but Green Bay, nobody wants to live there. Although there are some cool places in Green Bay. Like my guy Doe's for a batch party. Showed me a place up there, and I was like, wow, this actually is in Milwaukee. Like, this, it was like somewhere that we would film a hip hop video. Like, the baby would, would perform there. That That's how sick it was. Like, it, it was like the scene in old school where it's like, we're going to get so much ass in this place, like boy band ass. Like, that, that was how I felt looking at this place. 
But anyways, and I don't know if it's gonna gonna be the place anyway. But that's a a tangent for another time. So yes, I think Turner used Milwaukee as sort of a launch pad. Like I just think he used Milwaukee as the way to him to go back to LA. That was all Milwaukee was there. Milwaukee was a pawn. And I hate to say that. And that's why it was so cringy when I saw Sparky from the big show being like, tweet Justin Turner that he should come here. Like, come on, man. Don't do that. We don't, we're not that desperate. Yeah, we need a third baseman, but not that bad. We don't need to fucking tweet at him that our fan base is somehow more loyal than Dodger fans. We both have good fan bases. They're both, they're both good dogs. But anyways... Um, the fact of the matter is, is Turner was not coming to Milwaukee at all. Like he, I don't think he once thought he was going to actually be a brewer. I don't think there was one, one doubt in his mind that Dodgers would get the deal done. And they did because the Dodgers are just playing with fucking money. They are way over the luxury tax. Jeff Passan just talked about it. Like he's like, I've not seen anything like it. Um, the Dodgers are the West coast evil empire. Said that, I think, which about Trevor Bauer. I don't know if I said it on a podcast. I might have tweeted that out. But, like, they are so talented, but and they're so annoying. And then Walker Bueller tweeted, now he deleted it. Like, oh, we were really scared of Milwaukee. Okay, dude. All right, you want to fucking talk your shit? All right, let's go. You're actually going to play a full fucking season. We'll see how you guys do. You guys won a fucking fraud championship. So go fuck yourself. So that's why I have to say to Walker Bueller. And yeah, he dominates the Brewers. He's pushed our shit in a few times. But he can go fuck himself. Because like that's such like large market garbage. And I try not to be too sensitive about that. Because I think we as a city are too sensitive about it. But that's the type of stuff that just irks me. And just grinds my gears. So yes, I look forward to seeing Walker Bueller on the mound. And hopefully the Brewers put like five on his ass in the first inning. And then, then there's social media tweets like, are you scared now, Walker Bueller? Because I hope he would be. Uh, but that we'll have to wait. I don't know when the Brewers and Dodgers get together for the first time. We'll look that up. So what do the Brewers do now at third base, I think, is the bigger question. I don't think you can start the season with Luis Urias as your third baseman. I, I just don't. I think Urias is good. I don't think he is a elite third base option. He's a little short. He doesn't have the power at the corners. I just, I worry that the Brewers wouldn't get enough out of him to really be successful. Um, I think that off that lineup would not bring much. I think you, you see a guy like Mikel Franco still available. He's a guy I would really, I'd be interested in. I know that he's kind of been a shithead. He's not the best defender, but he can hit the ball. And yeah, it goes away from all the contact and it's more of a home run strikeout kind of guy, but it's a guy you could put at the sixth spot and really provide some pop. So that's who I think they should be targeting. We'll see who they'll go after, but obviously they're looking for a third baseman. They're obviously not satisfied with their third base option right now, which is okay, which which is good. You, you kind of want that, right? Like you want to have the ability of saying what's what's there and who could be who's still left. So Todd Frazier still out there. I I I don't want the Todd father. I think he's cringy as fuck and I'm not I'm really I'm really not down with him. Uh Eric Sogard's still out there. I'll puke if Eric Sogard is our our third baseman. 
Uh, you have Eduardo Nunez. Uh, what, what, what is Carabas called? Midnight or Eddie Midnight or something like that. I don't know. Midnight Eddie. Regardless, he's he's also he's also a potential option. Yurgadis uh, Solarte. I mispronounced that. He was a Brewer killer. He's plays multiple positions. That might that's usually trips David Stern's trigger. Jed Jerko still out there as well, but Jed Jerko is more of a first baseman. But he was too short to play it. And you already have Keston here playing first base as a right hander. If you're going to do a first baseman, you're probably going to get a get a left hander, even though that does look like double cheese. And who knows, double cheese can actually play first base if he's not just the DH. But that that will be, you know, we'll see about that. And we'll see what the Brewers make a move. I assume that they'll try to get something done. I assume the Brewers will try to get something done with somebody out there. God, Mike Olt's still hanging around. Mike Olt, just really quick tangent. He's my age. He's 32 years old. Like, he was a huge prospect. Like, there was like, I think did the Rangers trade, the Cubs traded him to the Rangers. Like, he was a big fucking deal, and he amounted to nothing. And that's sometimes, man, those prospects, they just don't live up to it. Like Jordan uh, Yormato got released by the Miami Marlins, who was part of the Christian Yellow trade. Sometimes these prospects, man, they don't mean a damn thing. All right, let's move on to the college hoops of the day and wrap it up. So for the third straight weekend, there are no college hoops winners in the high majors. Both Marquette and Wisconsin lose uh, I think the Marquette loss, or I'm sorry, the Wisconsin loss, not the Marquette loss. The Wisconsin loss was probably more disappointing given the fact that they had a 14-point lead on number three Michigan. We've seen so many examples of teams who've played after a COVID break who've really struggled in that first game. It's actually been a very profitable betting strategy. And yet the Badgers looked like they were well on their way. They were up 14 in the first half, and it, it seemed like a game Wisconsin was going to take control of, but they just stopped shooting. They went quiet. They couldn't do anything on the boards. The fact that Nate Reavers and Micah Potter did not get a single rebound in this game is stunning. I realize that Hunter Dickinson is a glass cleaner, but that can't happen. That just can't, and that's inexcusable. And I think I said on the podcast last week that Wisconsin is a good, not great team. I, I think that's exactly what they are. And they showed their colors again playing Michigan. That the Badgers are are good. They're just not an elite team. And they just can't handle elite basketball. And that's what Michigan played in the second half. Michigan outscored Wisconsin 40 to 20. And they're just they couldn't they they shut down Aleem Ford, who had 15 points in the first half. And I think he only scored two more the rest of the way. John, Jonathan Davis was good in the second half, but that was it. Brad Davidson was a ghost. I don't think I heard Brad Davidson's name maybe once on the broadcast. You just need more out of your seniors, and you're just not getting it. And the senior class, and, you, and this I think would piss Badger fans off more about the pandemic last year. Because this is the same team, right? I mean, there's a couple guys they're missing, but... This team was so hot down the stretch. Now, granted, Big Ten wasn't as good as it is this year. Big Ten is an elite conference. It's a lot better. But still, like, how mad do you think Badger fans are that they didn't get that pandemic year where they were probably one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest team, heading into the NCAA tournament that year? 
that's wild. And you you got to now have a little remorse about it as it looks like Wisconsin just maybe they're sealing Sweet 16 right now. That, that to me, it is. Uh, now, it could change. Now, they could make some adjustments and say, hey, maybe they start beating some of these teams that they've been losing to at the elite level. But we're, we just haven't seen it yet from Wisconsin. And this was a game where I thought they could win. And to not win against a team that's already been deemed a one seed by the committee in the reveal is tough. Because you beat Michigan, that probably moves you up. I think the last time I saw Jerry Palm had Wisconsin on the five line. And now it's like, are they going to be the five? Are they going to be the six? And the schedule doesn't get easier for the Badgers. They have a gauntlet, as we've mentioned. It's not... It's not a fun time for Wisconsin basketball. So let's pull that up real quick so we have schedule. Yes, Wisconsin will host Iowa on Thursday. Big game, Hawkeyes-Badgers. Now, I will caveat, Iowa, you usually have the Fran fade in February. Iowa won two straight. They had a really nice win against Michigan State. Talk about an all-time overthink by all of us gamblers where... We saw the line. It was five. We're like, wow, that's way too low. Metrics loved Iowa. You should have probably bet your house on Iowa. But given how scary Iowa's been from a betting perspective the last few weeks, everybody stayed away. Now, maybe the contrarian thing was it was so public because everybody's like, all right, you got to bet Michigan State there that you should have went with Iowa. But what what can you do? Um, Anyways, it'll be very interesting to see how Luca Garza does against the Micah Potter, Nate Reavers combination and see if they can notch a win. Because if you beat Iowa, all right. And then you got Northwestern before Illinois comes to town. It's not easy for Wisconsin down the stretch here with two against Iowa, one against Illinois, and one against Purdue. Um, so they, there's some challenges along the way for the Badgers. But right now, 9-6 and six in the conference, you lose again and you're 9-7. and seven. I you're they're not they're not in any danger of missing the tournament don't get me wrong but they're they're definitely in danger of losing some of those high seedings and beating beating up on iowa illinois purdue and iowa again i mean if you if they can go so and northwestern's in there too but northwestern's trash so we can chalk that up in a win i know that's a bet that's a tough place to play for wisconsin there's five games left wisconsin goes four and one they're probably a four seed maybe a three seed even uh, depending on how everything else shakes out. But if they end up losing like four of their last five, I think they might even hover around the seven or eight line. So they're, unless the Big Ten tournament goes well for them. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the Badgers down the stretch. As for Marquette, I think I mentioned last time that I just wanted Marquette to play with a little pride. That they, lost, they got their asses kicked by Villanova and I just wanted Marquette to show some pride. They did that. They battled tough. They played Seton Hall, you know, in a gritty, low-scoring, Big Ten-like affair, but they couldn't shoot. They were 3 of 25 from three. That's so bad. They were 15 of 35 from the field. It was just an ugly-ass day for Marquette. They also had 14 turnovers. Uh, Seton Hall also had a bunch of turnovers. It was just a kind of a gross game in general. And Seton Hall was able to make a few more points. They Seton Hall also led for most of this game. So even though Marquette was fighting, Seton Hall had sort of the control all game. You know, at one point they had led led by eleven. So it's a tough one. 
Um, but the tank sort of keeps rolling here for Marquette. Right now they are the second worst team in the Big East. They have lost, let's see here, doing the math, they have lost six of their last seven. That is ugly as sin. The one team that did beat Butler, they face on Wednesday. I think that's a 12.30 start. I think that's crazy, but I'm pretty sure that game's tipping off at 12, oh, 6.30. I saw it like on ESPN that it was going to be this early or late-ass start, but it'll be 5.30. Kind of weird to have Marquette playing on Ash Wednesday, just saying. A lot of people at Mass. They did play on Ash Wednesday last year and won. Um, I was at service while Marquette was playing Georgetown, and I feel like me getting ashes on my forehead for the first time willed Marquette to victory. So I will hopefully do the same, although I'm going to a 7 o'clock mass. So game will, I'll probably be able to actually watch most of the game. So we'll see if they can get it done against Butler. Butler's bad. I mean, Butler is is real assy. They got their asses handed to them by Georgetown over the weekend. So this will be a fight for mediocrity between the Bulldogs and the Golden Eagles on Wednesday night. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, it's it's bad. And I I think the more losses, the more noise around Wojo just keeps getting louder and louder. We started to see some national media members talk about it last week with Pat Forty, as well as Rob Doster and Jeff Goodman. Rob Doster still has me blocked on Twitter for those wondering. Um, but yeah, Jeff Goodman was like, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with this program. And I don't know what has gone wrong. And it seems like he he thought that it, Wojo would be immediately on the hot seat next year. He didn't think they would move on from him this year. I don't know, man. Marquette does carry themselves with some pride. I realize they have no money. But there's a lot of schools that I've seen football and basketball-wise that have no money and they just figure it out. And, you know... Texas, uh, I know that's like an extreme example, right? But I mean, they're paying a Tom Herman buyout of like $14.5 million because they just wanted Tom Herman to get the fuck out. And so maybe Marquette will do the same with Wojo and say, all right, get out. And it's just, you've, you've kind of embarrassed this program. And he has. I mean, they're a mediocre or, or organization. They're a mediocre uh, yeah, organization, I guess would be the word. I was like, franchise isn't the word, but I guess organization will do the trick. All right, that does it for us. Maybe tapping the keg tomorrow, if not later on in the week. Um, and then, yeah, daily taps all week. Like I said, we'll have some fun stuff uh, on tap when uh, it's kind of the schedule gets light. When we don't have the content from whether it be the Bucks or the college teams Obviously, pitchers and catchers report on Wednesday, so you'll have some of that content as well. We'll all be there for you. All right, guys, take care of yourself. Have a good Monday. If you're off, enjoy the day off. If you're working, we'll get through it all together. All right, take care, Tavers. Have a good one. Bye.